Today on BASIC, from the state, Viva Variety and Reno 911, we have Tom Lennon and Carrie Kenny. Everywhere the state went, we made enemies. The day we graduated NYU, we went and signed our contracts for our own show on MTV. We were not very nice to people that were giving us every opportunity in the world. People wanted us dead. Our parents have said, like, when are you going to be on real TV? Like, these dum-dums keep thinking that they're not made for basic cable, and yet basic cable finds you again. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Basic. I'm Doug Herzog, a former TV executive, and I'm out of here. And I'm Jen Cheney, a TV critic for Vulture and New York Magazine, and I want to dip my balls in it. <laughs> Basic is the official podcast of the unofficial history of basic cable television. Jen and I talk about everything from MTV to Mad Men, exploring the shows, networks, personalities, and catchphrases that define TV in the glorious era of basic cable. Today, we're joined by two people who literally grew up in cable together. Coming right out of college, they starred in MTV's seminal sketch comedy, The State, which Doug and I love, then moved to Comedy Central with Viva Variety, which Doug and I also love, and then ultimately were part of the enduring and hilarious Reno 911, another great show. Reno's still going to this day, and yes, we do love these guys, and I've known them since they were cable babies. They were just out of NYU, graduating in the early 90s. We hired them at MTV, but Tom and Kerry actually met back in high school when they both attended the same drama camp, and that's where we pick up the story today. Welcome, Tom and Kerry. You know, because this show is called Basic, and we're talking about Basic Cable, we always like to kick it off um, with a kind of a simple question, which is, do you remember when you first got cable? <laughs> Carrie? Gosh, we didn't get it for a while, but my aunt got it. So in the summer in Illinois, I remember one summer watching Karate Kid like 400 times. So I feel like it was either Karate Kid or on Golden Pond. And it was just over and over and over. And that's what cable means to me when it first came. But it took us a while to get it. My folks never had cable. We were on cable before my parents ever got cable. So oh, they yeah. were, Long yeah, they time. were not, they were not into the idea. My grandmother had a cable box down in the basement, but all we would do is if you turned it way, way, way up between the dials, you could get a couple seconds of scrambled uh, dirty movies. <laughs> that was way up the box. And so, but you had to like sort of hold in between stations to get that. So that's really my memory was down in like a, a weird basement outside the Chicago watching somewhere in between some high up stations on the box. Trying to see boobs. Yeah. Trying so hard to see boobs because yeah. of course it was, you know, the, it was a, you would have to pay for those things, sorts of things. Right. Yeah. That's what you pay for. That's called premium cable. We're <laughs> not doing that. There's no podcast about that because no one cares about it. <laughs> Let's go all the way back. You guys met even before you famously all met as the state at NYU. I mean, tell us uh, how that happened. We met in high school at theater camp at uh, Northwestern and became fast best friends and have worked together, well, pretty much every day since then. And now it we're It's really weird. We're 50, we're 51. Carrie's much, 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 old, much older, much older than me, obviously. A very yeah. ancient 52. I mean, she looks amazing, but she's far older than me. It's a lot of hate. <laughs> so, I really would have thought you were 51. I was a young, spry teenager, and I met this older, very wise teenager. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie and I just hit it off. In, like, I don't know what happened. We also, by the way, at that theater camp was John Hamburg or in the film department who made um, I Love You, Man and a bunch of those pictures. Oh, Math Mather Zickel, who's appeared on Reno 911 quite a bit. 
It was like a it was like a weird like sort of collective. And then Carrie just stood out the first night. <laughs> Carrie, do you remember the first night of theater camp? What yes, happens? Yes, we we had to do monologues for for the entire for the camp. Entire and all, camp and all the counselors and all the other kids and like everyone's there, and you really quickly get to see like oh she's amazing he's amazing okay this person's weird. <laughs> there were about four hundred yeah. to the moon and back again uh, monologues. Yeah, and I saw Car Carrie. Do you remember what you did? Uh, yes, I yeah. did House of Blue Leaves. I'm a huge, huge John Guare fan. So I did House of Blue Leaves. And mm -hmm. uh, one other person did it as well, I believe. I was in the experimental theater wing at NYU. After theater camp, we both were like, okay, where do we go to college? And I was like, well, I don't think I'm getting into Northwestern. Tom's like, I, did I don't not, know if I'm getting in either. I didn't. Yeah. He didn't. But we both put NYU as like our realistic mm -hmm. <laughs> choice. We got in. Then we're like, okay, where do we live? How do we right. do this? I feel like my NY my my Northwestern rejection letter was in all caps. <laughs> Is that something? Did they do that? Did they send all caps rejections? Because I think I got an all caps no thank you from Northwestern. <laughs> I did too. And you open it and like paper butterflies so, fly out. So firmly mad. I'm like, why are you mad at me, girl? <laughs> <laughs> um, but then we're in New York, which was very scary and weird. But we had each other, which was nice. Yeah. And we ended up, we lived in the same dorm because I'd ask you, I was like, where do you, where should we yeah. live in New York? Because you were cool and from Connecticut and your so dad cool. was. Yeah, you were cool. <laughs> you were, the, you were cooler than any of us. So I sort of like, I just sort of did whatever you suggested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when did you reach a point where you were like, actually, we want to do comedy? Like, how did you leave behind this dream of being in, in very uh, challenging theater? For me, it was the new group, which became the state. Um, and that happened because day one of NYU, I met a young gentleman named Michael Ian Black in my creative writing class. We hit it off and we had both creative writing together. I'm thinking back of a time of Michael Ian Black being like a bon vivant who just makes friends on the first day. Yeah, different. And that is such not. a funny idea. <laughs> We had like a stunt class together and we had creative writing together. So one day he came to me in that class with a flyer and said, there's an audition for a sketch group, a new sketch group at NYU. You and I should go try out. I was going to ask you, in fact, I think you guys did a sketch at one point, kind of joking about the fact that Carrie, you were the only woman in the group. Great um, sketch. Carrie's yeah. Day, it's called. Mm -hmm. Yes, I wrote Carrie's Day, very surprisingly. Um, <laughs> I knew her well. And yeah, I mean, it was like people would ask us in interviews, like when we switched from MTV for our brief stint on a <laughs> network. Well, we'll uh, get back to that later. Yes. They asked us, are you going to have color? Are you going to add a woman? Are you going to, and we didn't, like, we were so, we were like, what do you mean, man? Like, this is us. This is who, it's organic. And, and to a certain degree, I mean, that's just true. We just were what we were. Definitely, I look back and I go, yeah, that is a little bit weird. But the guys played girls. I played guys. So it wasn't that but it didn't feel weird to you at the time. It didn't. And it was really more about sensibility. Like, I don't have any more a female sensibility than, you know, some of the guys have more female, quote unquote, sensibilities than I do, if that's what you want to call it. So it wasn't like mm -hmm. the girl and the guys ever to me. And it, I don't think it felt that way to the guys either. I think if you watch any sort of documentary about bands, and I mean this in some of the good ways and all of the bad ways, the new group, which became the state, those interactions, like I, I watched Metallica's Some Kind of Monster about Metallica's interactions with each other. And I cried pretty much the entire movie because it's like, oh, this is that was my life in the state. We fought so much 
I mean, there was so much yelling and fighting and intensity, which is, you know, the sketches are good. And the sketches are weirdly, the sketches are still good. Yeah. How did you come to the attention of MTV? And were you out of NYU or were some of you still at NYU? We were still at NYU. David Wayne was interning, interning I believe, on You Wrote It, You Watch, or You Wrote no, It, no, no. it was starting. He heard yeah. about it from John Bendis and said, hey, I've got a sketch group. We could do bits for this. And they were like, I don't know. But David had a camera, borrowed a camera. There was a firm they pass. Said no. They, they said, actually no. said no. <laughs> they, because I guess David just pitched. He's like, hey, I've got these 10 other weirdos down in the village. Most of village. most of them look like me. Can we do some of these sketches for you? And everyone, I think it was actually and like they're, sort And of, they're 11 years old, these people. Yeah. That want to do and there was sketches. like a, a vague sort of no. For yeah. our listeners that may not remember you wrote it, you watch it. How would you describe <laughs> that show? So the idea was uh, MTV viewers would write in letters and then they would get reenacted. So it was you wrote it, you watch it. And like your life would be reenacted by people in a, in a little thing. And the weekend that we graduated NYU, David was like, look, they didn't ask to see anything from us. But I think if we showed them what we can do, I bet they would hire us to do some sketches. So we shot, I think, two or three sketches over a weekend. And I believe at the same time as well, because of performances we were doing around the village, uh, William Morris uh, signed us as a group, which uh, was unique at the time. It was a big deal. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. um, we did get hired and we did like one or two sketches a week. And they are absolutely nuts. There's like... One was, I think some of them we faked, the one about the Fred Schneider well, we faked, dream. I, I remember, I remember your Fred Schneider in a bathroom for <laughs> yes. some reason. Fred Schneider, I'm on the roof of, there's one point where Carrie's driving a car and I'm on the roof playing a tambourine. <laughs> we just did that. And I feel like if you were to talk about the spirit of basic cable, we just did that. I'm on the roof of a moving car. I don't have special a rig on or something. Carrie's driving a car around <laughs> Connecticut. It's Carrie's dad's car. I'm playing a tambourine, standing on the roof, and there's no one helping us. All we have is a high hate camera. We did another sketch years later on the state where we used my dad's motorcycle, which yeah. I had never driven before. And then yeah. I was pulling you on you a skateboard. You dragged me on the ground. You were like on the ground on a skateboard. But that was really, it was a natural progression. Basic cable right. at the time for us was a natural progression, just like going from sketch comedy in your college dorm room to, you know, whatever the next indicated step is. And the host of the show was John Stewart. Yes. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Tell us what you remember about John from those days of anything. I mean, did you have any interaction with him on that? Because I know you're like, you were off doing your sketches on your own to the side, but did you interact with John back then? We hung out with John a little bit, I feel like. I remember we all smoked a ton of cigarettes. Exactly. And the basic <laughs> cable, maybe, I don't know if it's specifically the cable or the MTV or the 80s or what it was, but the parties were insane. The money that they threw at those MTV parties, but I still like they're legendary. So we would hang out with John at those. So once we got picked up and then it was felt really cool, we made nothing. And I think on you wrote it, we were in one office in the middle of- Office, Tom? Or uh, we were in a, a very large closet we on were the in 50th a floor of- storage yeah. closet. There were 11 um, of us yeah. and we couldn't even fit one chair. So we sat crisscross applesauce on the floor in a closet with a lamp, a table lamp in the middle of the room, like total fire hazard, chain smoking. We all smoked in the middle of 1515 Broadway in a box on the 50th floor. This was the very early days. I'm beginning to understand why they had yeah. money for the parties. No, no, because the next year, once we did the state, our office became what is now the Total Request Live, or used to be, I don't know. Yeah, At the, on, the, on the 46th and Broadway side of the glass window that looks down. Probably the most amazing real estate in New York City in, to this day. Which would arguably be the world. Yes. Yeah, that was our that was our office. We got caught smoking there also. And also Joe Latruglia started a fight with Mike Judge that was really awful. Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, what what's that about? Was Beavis and Butthead was like next yes. door, right? So we got we did all sorts of terrible things in the hallways of fifteen. So when if you're listening to this podcast, there should be the plaque outside of fifteen fifteen Broadway <laughs> of things that have happened in that building is so insane. <laughs> Next time you're in Times Square, there's this giant building and it's got you know it's got a million banner ads across it that are digital now, but it's got a couple windows. It was always the world headquarters. That was the, the via, it was Viacom headquarters. Still is. Still is. And oh my god, we got given the most amazing office and there was a cartoon show starting next to us that we had never really heard of <laughs> called Beavis and Butthead. And we used to play a lot of Foursquare in the office with a giant Foursquare ball. Well, Tom and I would play naked Foursquare. We did. There's a tape of it somewhere. We I played loud naked Foursquare at work. And yes. so then they moved these like cartoon guys in just outside our door. And we were a little bit resentful, like this is our 
you know, office. We're busy trying to play naked foursquare in here and smoke pot. Stupid like, cartoon. We're like, they're putting a cartoon on MTV. Like, don't they know that we're like, anywhere. don't they know that we're like the clash, except we're a comedy group. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, we're such badasses. And I, I, beyond that. Okay. So one day our foursquare ball rolled into and bumped, bumped some of Mike judges stuff. And instead of being apologetic because we were the state, we escalated the fight worse. By the way, I'd like to point out that we're friends with Mike Judge now, and he's like yeah, one of the we're, great. We're obviously, the idiots in this story. Yeah, of course. From of the course. Is <laughs> but, the... So our ball bounced down the hall and knocked over some artwork at Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> and instead of apologizing, like Joe got into it a little bit with one of the animators and maybe Judge, and Joe wrote Mike Judge a check for five dollars, something like that, and bought a painting in Times Square of a crying clown. <laughs> And gave it to him. So, like, on be everywhere the state went, we made enemies. <laughs> everywhere we went. Who gives someone a TV show? Literally, the day we graduated NYU, we went and signed our contracts for our own show on MTV. There was a cool thing about shooting the pilot because so so the world headquarters was in Times Square over at fifteen fifteen, which was so cool. But then, just shy of the Port Authority bus terminal was where MTV actually shot so many of the things. And it was so cool to go in there because you would actually go in and see there's Kurt Loder and there's all the people and there's Tabitha Soren and there's Kennedy. And so we ended up, we shot the pilot over there at, was it called National, right? National? Yeah. Yeah, over on 45th, which was such a trip. It felt so cool to walk into National, which I think it can't exist anymore wherever that studio was, but it was so cool. And then see like super famous people like Tabitha Soren. So... I was reading an, an article in the New York Times from like 1995 about the state. We had some beefs in the press. Let's oh. just put it that way. <laughs> oh. so, Jen, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. So mm -hmm. um, at one early meeting, MTV <laughs> produced a list of suggested topics for them to, mm -hmm. to parody, yep. including Madonna, Platform Shoes, the movie mm -hmm. The Firm, and mm -hmm. the television shows Blossom and Beverly Hills 90210. Mm -hmm. Young and eager, the group followed directions. They wrote mm -hmm. a Beverly Hills 90210 send-up in which the bad boy surfer Dylan is confused with Bob Dylan. But MTV rejected it on the grounds that viewers would not know who Bob Dylan was. We used to talk smack. All Carrie, we did. Of course we did. And, and the other thing about the state, since there's 11 of us, we could start smack anywhere we went all the time. Even if you if you had good intentions <sighs> that day, then somebody else pops off and it's like, oh, great. By association, I'm still a jerk. But to we, be fair, but we, 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 were, we, an had, we were an adversarial group. But we we started, we talked a lot of smack. We never did what anybody told us to do. The reason that the famous state catchphrase is, I want to dip my balls in it, is because we refused to write catchphrases. We're like, we will never do that. They wanted topical and they wanted catchphrase. So we were like, okay, here's your answer to that. And I think at that time, I mean, just to get a little bit real, we were not very nice to people that were giving us every opportunity in the world. <laughs> Yeah. To be fair, we were also overbearing. We were all certain we understood, meeting those of us at MTV, what, quote, the MTV brand was and what it needed to be. And so we were kind of overbearing. I don't think that's true. I we were not I think... even infants. We still had umbilical cords attached. By the way, you know, we were not a ton older than you. We, you know, you guys were hitting your early 20s. We were hitting, you know, our- Late we 20s. Anywhere from mid-20s to early yeah. 30s. It was a bunch of- Lawless we were people. rebelling against only people that were supportive and friends of ours and are still friends of ours. No one was against us. I think we just thought, like, we've got a... Old man Doug. Doug's, like, my contemporary in every way. I don't what know. Is... Like, yeah, so... meanwhile, like, my husband is, is older than you. But yeah. I think 
at the time, I don't know if it's like a chip on your shoulder Gen X thing, or it's because the kind of music we listened to or stories we had heard. I honest to God don't know what it is, but we came in fists flying and no one was there to fight us. People were like, no, no, you're good. Here's here's an office. Here's money. Wasn't part of it like you, and not to put words in your mouth, but like mm. that you were you were going on MTV, which was a very mainstream thing. And I'm sure you didn't want to seem like too mainstream. And, and to oh. be honest, you know, as a Gen Xer, I think that was what a lot of us really liked about all of you. Like we, we could sense that kind of anti-authority spirit. It's so funny because I look back and since Carrie and I have had basically had some version of a TV show ever since then, almost all on basic cable mm-hmm. um, to plug the podcast. True. Um, that's why, that's why, that's that's why right. you're here. That's why we're here. <laughs> um, but the other thing about it is the ratings that we did on MTV in that era, Jim Sharp, who's the George Martin of the state, Jim would come in with our num- like our, our ratings from Sunday nights on MTV, and they were massive. I don't think we've ever done numbers subsequently. Said, no way. I mean, that was a different thing. MTV was, yeah. But the show the show did get off to kind of a slow start and critically, oh, right? And it was mixed. So talk about, talk not about mixed, the promo. Not mixed. It wasn't mixed. People wanted us dead. And <laughs> you guys, you guys brought us back. If you recall, our we had a promo that to me, to this day, is the greatest promo yeah. of, of all I'm time, really proud of that. Yeah. Which was the song, I Started a Joke. And instead of, because we had gotten such horrible reviews, it was us in Central Park sort of kicking rocks and hugging each other. And the bad reviews reviews. scrolled and they were real. You know, MTV should be drug tested. for Every MTV exec who approved this should be given a drug test. Negative three stars. It was negative like... (laughs) Yeah. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast, you can find that promo yes. on YouTube. I think it's called The State More Miserable Crap. Yes. Coming, <laughs> yes. This, was, coming this fall, More Miserable it's Crap. All of, it's every one of the like awful, awful reviews. But I was not a critic back then, but if I had been, I would have given you a positive review. So I hope no, that makes you feel you. better. Thank you. Thank you. And here was, here was the incredible thing. I remember people really like crapping on the show going, it stinks, it's not yep. funny, it's this, it's that. And then that promo ran. And it was like magic. Like all of a sudden, like the tide began to turn and the word of mouth all of a sudden became, oh, you know, the show's getting better. And it was hilarious because we were just rerunning the same shows. It wasn't like you went back and had made new it shows. Sh- yet, it shows you know? the power the of like season. what the sort of dominating yeah, our exactly. and like controlling the conversation a little bit because when, as soon as we embraced that, like these weird establishment newspapers hated the show, it gave us more credibility. Right. Like, especially on MTV. Yeah. MTV loved being anti-establishment. Like, oh, USA Today doesn't like us? Perfect. 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 Yeah. New York Times doesn't get what we're doing. That's probably Yeah. But if Rolling Stone hates us and Interview Magazine, that's going to hurt. We got, but speaking of, Doug, and I remember you, I think you, I don't know, you might have called me on the phone. When Viva Variety came out, we got a full panel in the New York Times TV section, which used to be a thing. Do you not remember this? And it was literally, it was like the most glowing review of anything we'd ever done. And it was yeah. New York Times. And, Carrie, you remember and that? the whole the, center yeah. of, we got the center of TV guide too. I remember. Yeah. The but it, like the. I'm surprised I didn't click I haven't. I haven't. In fact, yeah, yeah, it's it's like, it's a big, it's a cool picture of me and Carrie. And it was just talking about Viva Variety. It said, um, Viva La Spoof. Not that you care about the good reviews or the bad reviews, but I remember it said, Viva La Spoof, all tongues in cheeks. <laughs> was the the New York Times glowing review of Viva Variety. And I'm like, well, we must be done. We must suck now because the New York Times loves yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, so, so that's a that's a good segue, although we don't get to talk about CBS or Oof. you're leaving uh, MTV. But let's talk about, um, you know, so the state uh, eventually, uh, after two, three seasons at MTV, um, went off to make a one-off at CBS. More complicated. That was that's kind a of very, for the state for a minute. That's a whole you know, other podcast. It's a very upbeat. That's a whole that's other also podcast. a super upbeat revisionist version. I personally look back on our departure from MTV as one of the great mistakes of our career ever, other than a couple other things. Probably. We were not given all of the information. That's accurate. And, and it, That's re- accurate. It, re- it reminds me sort of of like at a party when your kid is acting up and they've had too much sugar and um, they're about to bring out the cake. And when you say to the kid, like, we're going to go now. And they're like, no, we haven't had cake yet. And you're like, oh, they didn't get a cake. This party has no cake. We're going to run home. Actually, the party's ending right now. They're going to take down the bounce house. So we better get, we better go before the bounce house collapses. And you're, and you're getting your kid out. That's how I feel like what was done to us because we didn't know that MTV wanted more. We, we just not. thought it was like, uh, like, oh, I guess we better go to this shiny. I mean, we made the decision. Ultimately, it was our decision, but I don't think we made the decision. And by the way, I did the same thing. I left MTV and I went to a network and it didn't work out for yeah. me either. But wait, actually, but you hired us at that network and then you hired us again I, I and did. then you hired <laughs> us again. So, well, I, I, I managed to keep getting some jobs, but but that was, you know, everybody in cable was trying to make it to network. That was sort of the dream, yeah. right? Right. You know, it was see, cable was seen as the minor league. Tom and I, our parents, our whole lives have said, like, when are you going to be on real TV? Like, mm-hmm. you know, so finally we were like, we're going to be on real TV. And then we were there for four seconds and they were like, four seconds. Okay, we're, we're but back. I, 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 I think it's really important for the Wikipedia and for the notion that the state got canceled off MTV is completely false not true we left that was just a parting of the ways no, we, I, I wouldn't be called we, oh, no but we left and we, we left being, we and were it being, was a wrong move we left and it was idiotic <laughs> and we could have done like <laughs> I, I i i i just kind of wonder and now in, in many ways viva variety and stella and reno 911 if you look at like what would the state have become we we did it it was just in a bunch yeah. of different formats many, many times. That was a hard thing to sustain. A group of 11 people kind of keeping that healthy and, and running. It's, we it's got, still got lot. more internal feuds than any rap group. <laughs> it actually blows my mind. <laughs> so, again, for our listeners who may not remember, describe Viva Variety. And what well, that was towards about. the end of the state, I wrote a sketch called the Mr. and Former Mrs. LaPan Variety Program with two M's and an E at the end of it. And it was just basically, you know, like when you go to Europe and you, sorry, that was a really pretentious thing to say, but you know, like you're like basically like late at night, you turn on like some weird like German game show and like there's people in swimsuits and it's just like everyone's screaming and it's kind of a game show. It was sort of like uh, our idea Saba was Joe like what Sabajo Gigante, like mm-hmm. a big giant show that's on all day, and sometimes it's a game show, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's got to fill time. And so, you know, we ended up buying the rights from the rest of the group, and then we expanded it a lot. And it was just the idea that was that Carrie and I were these European couple who we were divorced, but we still owned the rights to our our variety show together. Um, like yeah, Sonny it was like yeah. a Sonny and share exactly. of this weird like Belgian couple. And it's so funny that we're now actually like about the, the age that yes. we were pretending to be. <laughs> At the time, I, Tom would like put on like stubble, like before he could grow. 
this is like 25 27 ish years ago yeah <laughs> but we were pretending like we're grown-up people from europe and we've been divorced for right. years and it was kind of fun because it was like we'd always have like two-thirds of the show was like sketches that we were writing and bits we were doing and then there was one part of the show that was like real stunts and dangerous variety acts and then like like you would see yeah, yeah like people that were just like variety yeah, and, and then the greatest bands in the world then mm -hmm. run dmc it was crazy up. we had duran every, duran we had duran duran we had shutter to think we had cake like we had Mighty Mighty Bostones. Cake like starring Carrie. Carrie. Right. That was really cool because you had a stand-in to pretend to be you when you were right, you over on the stage. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, that to this day is my favorite show we've ever done. I would do that. I would ride that show out into the sunset. It's still my favorite character ever. I at heart am like a musical theater nerd. The fact that we got to do song and dance numbers every week, the fake commercials, the bands, the acts, it was so- Wow, well, I have to tell you, I've been on TV sets, but I've never been to a TV taping except the taping of Viva Variety that I went to. Wow. Really? It was the episode yeah. where Stacey Keach was the host and Toots and the Maytals were the musical Toots guests. Toots and yes. the Maytals. Wow. That was the other thing. Aside from the musical guests, celebrities came to play ball on that show. And to be clear, no one watched that show. It wasn't like it was a hit and or even a niche thing that people wanted to be part of. But I, for some reason, somehow, and maybe this was all you, Doug, it was a lot of Doug, I think. He got, <laughs> I mean, the, the get, the, we had Stacey Keach, we had Whoopi Goldberg, we had I, well, I did a musical. Remember, I did a, I did a musical number with Charles Durning. And Stiller. Stiller. Stiller, the first or second episode, is the first episode, Janine Garofalo, and the second one, Stiller. Stiller. But the the joke of it was, <laughs> we were supposed to have uh, the Fonz, but he, he canceled. So we did not rewrite the show, but we had a whole show of Henry Winkler material that we just made Ben Stiller do. And we were very disappointed. We didn't know who Ben Stiller was, but <laughs> didn't know, didn't care. Might have, we have to, we yeah. already rehearsed if we could just do it and you just yeah. pretend like you're the Fonz. It was He was really, so phenomenal. It was all, really awesome. Stars would come in and we would have tons of choreography for them, songs they had to learn and people, the deal was basically, if you're going to do the show, you kind of like the you got to be sort of a, a sketch person or a musical theater person because this is a lot of work and you're getting paid four dollars and we're in harlem we did an opera with carmen we did a, carmen electra. electra we did a we did um the importance of being earnest with jim varney who was you know the hate <laughs> oh, right yeah who was earnest in all the earnest movies but like we would yeah it was cool well have you ever thought about bringing it back oh Carrie, should we bring it back? Oh, I would do that show in a heart. I, like I said, I would ride that show into the sunset. The dumbest thing is we're the age now. We're actually. I was going to say, you just said you're right. You're the, you're the I, right I just think it's such a fun show. And I think it's such a fun show as a guest to do. I think it'd be, maybe I'm kidding myself, but I think it would be easy and fun to get people who want to play ball and come and do a song and dance number and. Plus, we also have to smoke again if we do it. We have uh, well, to start yeah. This is one of the fun you, things is we just smoke nonstop cigarettes right. the whole when show. When you yeah. said we weren't sleeping and we were chain smoking, it was awful. I didn't feel the. I wasn't <laughs> it was also the fun. awful part. No, but... it was fun. We were really skinny and we. And it was fun. <laughs> yeah. I think you should bring it back. Uh, listen, I'll too. Right. Me too. I'll start a streaming service. It's, right. it's easy. That's right? good. All right. I'm going to text Prince Apato right okay. now. Well, we, weirdly, apparently we have the rights, which is weird. Let's talk about how Reno 911 came to be. We're kind of floundering around after Viva and didn't really know what we were doing. And you came to us and said, come do, he's like, Doug, 
turned around. He's like, hey, I don't know if you heard. I'm the president of Fox. <laughs> and we're like, wait, what? And he's like, do you want to do a show at Fox? And we're like, there's never anything else we wanted to do because we're obviously made for network television. <laughs> it always goes so well for us. You guys see a pattern of these dum-dums? <laughs> like these dum-dums keep thinking that they're not made for basic cable. And yet somehow basic cable finds you again. So we we wrote a sketch show that was just going to be for you at, at Fox. By the time that we even sort of finished, you had left Fox. And we did a table read oh. of what I thought was an amazing sketch show. And it got a from the current president who said, one, I, I have no use for a sketch show because no one cares about sketch shows because you can't. It has to be about characters you want to see every week. And then two... The, the president at that time said, also, I don't, I mean, you guys are all like pretty old for Fox. <laughs> this was, I, tw this was we 22 were, years I was, ago. I was, this, this is 1999. I was 29 years old. <laughs> oh my God. And this very nice lady who we still like said, you're currently too old to be on the Fox network. <laughs> and we were like, holy shit. Um, but we had, uh, we had put together a cast for that sketch show, which was Cedric. Nisi, Carrie, Carlos. Carlos. Well, I mean, Carrie and me and Ben wrote it. But it was basically everybody except for Wendy, McClendon, Covey. Got canceled at the table read. But we had a budget. We had a crew. We had everything. And then, like, we kind of went home and pouted for the weekend. Well, one of the things they said, Tom, was it doesn't look like something that would be on our network. Exactly, on so Fox. So we went home and thought, well, what does look like it would be on their network? And in my memory, you called me and said, this is crazy. Yeah. We only have $4 left because we've spent yeah. the budget on everything else that we're not going to now do. Right. What if we did a spoof of something that is on their network and that's cops? And they can't argue that we don't look like something on their network. So we, right. we shot it, including we put the Fox logo down in the corner just to be like oh, very aggressive. Remember, I made them add the Fox logo. <laughs> See, and it, it actually... looks like something on your network. And it got very, very, very close to going on the air at Fox, but it did not. And thank God it didn't. Yeah. The stuff we ended up doing, could you We're imagine? Not. We would be noted to death. Yeah. They keep telling us. They keep telling us they don't want us on network TV. So it uh, it sort of lingered around for the pilot was done, like in the can with Weigel and Dangle and all the things that you know. And then nothing happened. And we tried a bunch of other stuff that failed. And then Ben and I wrote a couple movies and some of those started going. And then in the interim... And then Doug switched jobs. And then Doug came. No, oh, no, I. Right. Oh, you came back again later. I had not come right. back yet. You come back in later. This is this is like uh, this is so Jim Sharp. One time we got a job at, on our own. At Comedy Central. Yeah. <laughs> Jim was like, "Do you guys have a show that's like very cheap and mostly daylight exteriors and not hard to do?" <laughs> we were like, "Hey, oh my God, we just did one of those for Fox." But you know, like since Doug Doug quit or Doug's not there anymore, the new person told us we're too old and not never going to be on Fox. <laughs> Sitting on the so, shelf. Yeah, so it just never went anywhere. So Jim Sharp looked at it and he's like, it's actually kind of a perfect Comedy Central show. And we're like, great. As a result, we ended up having to reshoot the pilot sort of frame for frame because Fox owned the actual footage of everything that we had done. But we were allowed to recreate it for Comedy Central. So we had to duplicate even, remember, even like little things that we yeah, had Yeah, which is crazy weird. because it was an improv show and the but only then, reason it was improv yeah. was because we didn't have time to write a script so then we had to redo the improv in the first one but since then everything else has been improv except for the first episode which was 
uh, copy of the original improv. Right. So, yeah, Fox was like, no, that's not a Fox show. They were right. They were they were kind of right. But but as a side note, when uh, John Langley, the the yeah, the creator of Cops got his star on the Walk of Fame, we gave it to him because mm-hmm. <laughs> he was such a he was such a big fan of Reno 911. And he's like, you guys stole everything I did. Ha 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 ha. And we're like, okay, cool. <laughs> but we basically did. Yeah. When you say that, um, Carrie, that things were improvised for the most part, like, I'm curious, like how much of a Reno episode is scripted and how much of it is? is- 100% is, is improvised. If, if we have things that are like um, announcements or um, something like that, then like if Tom's doing one at, at the podium for the news or something, he might write something out. But um, dialogue is never written. We'll write outlines for what might happen or mm-hmm. how what we want to get to the point or the punchline. But even then, often we don't know what that is. Um, and it's just improv. When, you know, we did the pilot for this in the year 2000. So for the past 22 years off and on, we've been doing it. And most recently after the huge long break, I thought, God, are we going to know how to play these characters again? You know, it was one thing when you get in a rhythm, but um, it was surprising how, how quick, quickly we were able to jump back in and, and, uh, and play these lunatics. Did, did either of you ever want to be on Saturday night live or was that just never something you cared about? I auditioned for Saturday Night Live. Did you? Yes. They reached out to me, I guess, or that's what I was told. I don't know if that's true, but um, my agent at the time. Uh, and I remember- James Baby Doll Dixon, sweetheart, what do you yeah, got? You drop these losers. James Baby, here's what Listen. you do, sweetheart. Carrie Kenny, Carrie Kenny, you don't need these weird, these guys, you got 10 white weirdos next to you. You don't need <laughs> these guys. You got 10 of the weirdest white weirdos. They all look the same. The other one looks like the other one. One of them is tall. What are you doing? You could be, you could be once again on broadcast television. This was our agent, James Dixon, <laughs> who is now like the hugest agent in the, in the business. Um, you know, he's Jimmy Kimmel's agent. He's and, you know, everybody's agent. I mean, huge. Yeah. But so I auditioned and I remember thinking at the time, this is humiliating by the way, but I will tell you <laughs> this. I remember thinking at the time, like, why would I want to get on this sinking ship when I've got my <laughs> yacht going over here on basic cable? You were also um, surrounded by a bunch I mean, of weird I'll white dudes. Up. Yeah. I'll You're also up. surrounded by people who were like, that show is garbage. Yeah. Oh, totally. Why would you ever do that? And of right. course, like I was an idiot in my twenties and, and although yeah, it was, wasn't a foul. It was it was a, it was a slower time and, and I was surrounded by I was, you know, I was in like a punk band and I was surrounded by people who were like, Oh, that's the establishment. It would basically be like so basically like you're in the clash. Yeah. And you got a cash offer to be the star of the Lawrence Welk show. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, "How could you do this? Yeah, how could so you do this to happy, us?" But oh I, no, we I, were. Oh, I, chairs I were went, thrown. Yeah, people were. Mad. I went and auditioned, and um, I did not get in. And in fact, then I found out later. And they take a while to let you know. No, thank you. But that was <laughs> one of the rounds where nobody got. They didn't take a woman at that time. So it, it, mm-hmm. it you know, they ended up, I think, taking one guy or something. I don't know, but. Um, it was terrifying, but, but listen, like we, like we all talk about, would I have gotten lost there? Would I, um, you know, I, 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 someone sent me recently, there was something on, on the internet of people that you would know who auditioned for SNL that didn't get on. And it was other actors that went on to have perfectly reasonable careers. 
But I, I looked at that and thought, gosh, if she had gotten it or if he had gotten it, what would their career look like now? Wouldn't look like this. Would it be better? Would it be worse? I don't know. But for me, I'm in a really safe, happy space. And I have a very, to me, enviable career in that I get to work with my best friends. And um, it's kind of unheard of to have this consistency with someone like I have with Tom over the years, over the decades, several decades um, to get to keep doing this is kind of insane. And that might've taken a left turn. Um, I can't imagine it being better than it is. So I got one for you. So imagine you're sitting back in a NYU dorm room, or maybe you're in that tiny office at MTV sitting crisscross applesauce. We're mime smoking now, just so you know. (laughs) And you're all, all, all 11 of you are sort of sitting around staring at each other excluding present company who did you think was going to make oh because by the way so many of you so many of the 11 have amazing careers oh yeah almost every one of you but who did did you think back then was going to be the one i think the entire universe was telling us that we were dragging ken marino down yes i was gonna say ken marino i was gonna say ken marino even ken who's and including our parents our parents used to let us know that like oh that ken to this day one of my best friends and i love him like he's literally my own family but both the universe was telling us hey guy you know that ken marino holy smokes it is me doing baby doll dixon you can you guys introduce me to ken we're like he's in the group with us you idiot Yeah, yeah, I know, but you're all a bunch of you're all a bunch of weirdos, and then there's this one guy that can't. But that one guy's gonna be the thing. And like, and it it was like, and there was always like either Carrie was gonna leave the group or Ken was gonna leave the group, and the rest of us were just sitting there like, well, the rest of us all look exactly the same, and we have <laughs> except for Jan, who's tall, we're like eight other weirdos that are identical. <laughs> I did have, I'm not going to lie, I did have a little trouble differentiating a couple of... Uh, well, also, of in fairness, we have three Michaels. I mean, that's not fair. There th- but, and also, Joe Latruglio, who was the person who invited me into the group, I'm basically his identical twin. So this has been really great. We really appreciate you guys coming on and talking to us. Yeah, we, we, we loved having you. Carrie, what you said, I think, is the most important thing. You know, the consistency that you guys have had now since the early 90s of... Just doing your thing, always being funny on every conceivable kind of platform in every conceivable type of format. It's it's really just amazing, and uh, you know we're fans, and we you know you know could be happier that uh, you are amongst our first guests here. And uh, we and Doug, it's when an you honor. it's an honor, it's an honor, and when you are president of the Weather Channel, which is probably. <laughs> Which, I mean, I just know that you probably, at some point you will be because you you either are or will be the yeah. president of everything. So at some point we'll be there. I just want to pitch like, just cause you know, I don't know, things might not go so well for Tom and I in the next years, but I'm they really good definitely at like, whoa, it's pretty windy out here today. Look at her. Um, Tom, <laughs> I don't know how it's going back in the station, but. Um, you What if you put Viva Variety on the Weather Channel? I love like, it. Like you combine those now we're in some way. Now we're talking. I love that they have known each other for such a long time and they went to camp together as, as they talked about like that until we were doing research for this, I didn't realize how long they had known each other. And that's extra cool that they're still working together after all these years. You know, I felt like I knew that at one point, but forgot it. But I mean, between camp and college, those are pretty seminal experiences. I know because I did both <laughs> and how I feel about the people, how I feel about the people I did them with. And then to, you know, pretty much, 
have this entire career together. And they're almost like an on-screen married couple, like they were in Viva Variety. Mm -hmm. Right. Which, you know, listen, we got to figure out a way to bring that back on television. I mean, we kind of talked about this. They said they're bringing it back for, you know, an event, but it needs to be on a streaming service, a network, something. I totally agree. And the more I think about the interview we did and how we, you know, and how they talked about it and how people like us who were fans at the time loved it. It's a timeless format. They are the age of the people they were playing back then. They could certainly give it a shot. So there's got to be a streamer who would give them a shot somewhere with something like that, right? I would think so. You're you're better connected than I am. Help them out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in the pod business now, Jim. Oh, okay. The pod um, business. I, I, Pardon I, I, me. I, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, then there's you know, this amazing run they've had with Reno 911, which, you know, just continues to thrive, you know, first on Comedy Central and then rebooted um, by uh, Quibi for a minute and now finds itself on Roku and and now all the way back to doing more original episodes for, you know, Viacom, Comedy Central, Paramount on Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a crazy journey. Yeah. I mean, Reno 911 will never die, I don't think. You know, another sort of crazy timeless format they came up mm-hmm. with. You know, they can slip those shorts on at, you know, sort of any time. And they have this amazing ability to be never not funny and and make it work, mm-hmm. um, to quote one of our guests, Tim Gunn. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, and you were, of course, I know, a fan of the state, which is where this all started. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that, that group of 11 that came out of... NYU uh, back in the 90s and found themselves on MTV. Um, Do you remember discovering that show originally? Um, Yeah. I mean, I remember watching it with a bunch of friends and people quoting the lines and and we were quoting the lines for years after, even when it wasn't on the air anymore. So I think it made a a, particularly made an impression on, on people of my generation. Yeah. And it's amazing that there were 11 of them and I think nine of them are still working today in movies, film, commercials, and all have pretty great careers. And they've managed, despite their beefs, to occasionally uh, reunite every once in a while at a San Francisco sketch fest. And, and it's, a, it's been an amazing run for that entire group of people, which is, uh, I, could, I, I certainly could not have predicted that so many of them would be so successful for so long. Yeah. And it was great that uh, Tom and Carrie were able to reunite and talk with us for a little bit. I really enjoyed that personally. And uh, I hope our listeners did too. And we will join you again next time on BASIC. BASIC is a Pantheon Media production in partnership with Sirius XM. Hosted by Jen Chaney and Doug Herzog. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer. Mixed, mastered, and music by Jerry Danielson. Edited by Zach Spisner. You can find BASIC on Apple Podcasts, the Sirius XM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us. Don't Don't forget forget to follow follow the show show so you never never miss an episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 